Hi, and welcome to Steve Wraith's True Crime Podcast. You can also follow my podcasts on YouTube. Just search Steve Wraith and click subscribe. We're here tonight to discuss, um, obviously, Lee Duffy. Uh, that's why I got you on. You've obviously written not one, but two books. Um, both great books. I've read them both. Uh, the Hole of the Moon and The Blood Moon. You've also brought out the uh, the Lee Duffy DVD, Hole of the Moon, as well. So plenty to talk about. Now, I thought I'll get you on because, obviously, I'm going to be putting this up onto YouTube as well. A lot of people interested in truth. Right? <coughs> and I thought if there's anybody who can answer questions about Lee Duffy, then it's you. So I wanted to do it in chronological order, really, just so people get an idea. There are a lot of people that have heard the name, but they won't have, they won't have really grasped who Lee Duffy is. They might know a little bit about him, they might know, they might know, you know, how he met his end or whatever, they might know where he's from, but I just thought, you know, you'd be the right man. So, so where was, where was Lee Duffy born, first of all? Um, he, he was born in Middlesbrough. Um, what day are we on today? Um, oh, it's the 9th of June, it's Bladen Racers Day today. It would have been June, June the 11th, 1965. Uh, he'd have been 55 coming up. Uh, lived in a in a um in the center of Middlesbrough, but moved um in an area South Bank when he was literally a toddler. Um, you know, suffered suffered at the hands of bullies. Um, he had you know people used to say he, he you know certainly not me but you know I've I've been and I've spoke to the people who used to say. He was picked on because of the size of his head. He looked Down syndrome. He had big lips. Um, he suffered. He suffered really badly at the hands of bullies. Um, he was beaten up when he was fourteen by around six lads, and he was given he was given a sum of eighty pound, which was quite a lot of money in nineteen seventy nine. Um, and then he started going in the barstools. Um, you know, and he left school. Uh, wanted to be. He done a few like YTS courses, like um, scaffolding. But you know, from the ages of about seventeen, that's when he really started taking off. Um, and he became, you know, he kind of climbed up the ladder, if you like. Um, and he, he, you know, he, he just went on a journey that. You know that Middlesbrough's never seen before or since again, and um, you know here we are now, what twenty nine years on, talking about some young kid from South Bank. Um, you know the Sears film will feature him. There's been two books on him already from me. Stephen Stephen Richards did ones like twenty years ago almost. We've done a documentary on him. Um, there's one in the post. Um. And it just seems to be roller coasting, Steve, that everyone seems to just want to, you know, um, just want to know really what this young kid was about. Um, you know, and um, he just, in, in August 91, when he died, you know, I, I was an 11 year old kid. I'd never met him, but um, I'll never forget that feeling of, you know, wherever I went for two weeks until his funeral on September the 9th, 1991, which was like 11, 12 days after his death, 13 days after his death. 
you know, it was just almost Middlesbrough was a really bizarre, even if I went to the news agents, you know, it was like the town stood still and I've spoke to police officers. I've spoke, funny enough, I've talked to Lee's last ever victim the other week, um, you know, and basically anyone who come across you, even if you met him once, um, it was, it was, you know, people talk about meeting, like, you know, it's like in, in folklore and myth, meeting the abominable snowman, meeting, saying bloody Bigfoot, you know, can't, I know it sounds a bit crazy, but it's people, I've met a lot of people who just said I met him once, but they, they never forgot him. And, you know, um, everyone remembers where they were when they heard the news that um, that Lee Duffy died. Um, and I've never met, you know, I've studied a lot of criminals, you do as well, um, you know, and it's just, you know, it's it's embedded in folklore now forever. And um, certainly, certainly in my lifetime, um, his name will never be forgot about in the town of Middlesbrough. You say you say he was bullied when he was fourteen, but you know, <coughs> did did he have a happy childhood? I mean, you know, we hear a lot of the a lot of the stories from a lot of the hard men when you watch things like James English's podcast and Sean Atwood's. I think the one common denominator is that, you know, these people had a, a tough, tough upbringing. Some of them were in care homes where they were abused. Some of them were, some of them had, you know, came from, from split homes and, you know what I mean? They, they, they struggled and there was some trauma. Others had abusive, you know, abusive parents, abusive fathers who maybe beat them to the, within an inch of their lives. So did Lee have a, a happy childhood growing up in South Bank? <clears throat> I don't think he did because um, he, obviously, you know, I've spoken to um, the next door neighbours, which is a lovely family called the Cox family. And uh, they've been there now 57 years. And, um, you know, they live next door to Lee for probably near enough 20 years, 18 years when he was in prison. And, uh, you know, they said to me, I'm just going what she said. And she said, listen, you know, we used to hear Lee screaming. Um, you know, back in the seventies, when when you know when you were brought up, you know, if your dad drank and beat you up, it was very. It wasn't as like, you know, today's society is very different, and um, you know, it's it's it obviously. I'm saying it was accepted, wasn't it? it was yeah, um, yeah. It you know today, in in my opinion. You know, and in a lot of other opinion, he would have been put into care. Um, I've spoken to people really close to me. I'm not going to name them, you know, and um, and and they've given me that. They've given their own views and said we had it really hard, um, you know. So so basically, you know, um, the neighbour was telling me once when um, you know, the father pushed pushed the mother out of the window and broke a collarbone and all this and you know um certain children when um obviously the mother went first weren't allowed to go to the funeral their own mother's funeral because the dad still had this you know this isn't his say this is from their own mouths which was obviously some of Lee's siblings um and I you know I just think basically it would have all been very different today um and yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get away with doing then what you, you know, 
you wouldn't get away now what you would within the 60s and the 70s. Where did uh, where did Lee first learn to, to throw a punch in anger? <clears throat> um, people think he was a boxer. Um, he absolutely wasn't. Um, you know, you know, you know your boxing, you know your boxing, Steve. And when you think of Vladimir Klitschko, when you look at all these Kazakhstans, all they do is master the basics. Um, and Lee basically never, he, he got his medical, but he never had one contest. Um, you know, and he, he used to go to the Grangetown Boys Club. Um, he used to look up to his Uncle Rod. Um, when he, when he was really young, who was a professional criminal. Um, you know, he's been in the papers of recently, lately. Uh, that's not for, that's another story. It's not for me to go into. Um, but, you know, he... Listen, Middlesbrough, you know, I dare say it's one of the most working-class towns in Britain. Um, and it's a, it's a hard place to live. You know, albeit little towns in Scotland, I've, I've been brought up for most of my life in Middlesbrough. Um, and arguably, probably South Bank's the toughest town in Middlesbrough. Um, you know, so basically, he really did his um, apprenticeship in the toughest part of, of um, you know, a, a corner of Britain. And um, in the sun, um, Laurie Duffy, God rest him, who, who passed a few months back. He gave an interview in 1993 and he said, in, in, you know, when we were, when me and my brother were growing up, um, we basically quickly learned that if we needed anything in life, we had to learn a fight from it. Um, and that was Lee's basically, you know, he, um, he mastered the art of violence and he was a young, you know, he wasn't a skilled fighter. He wasn't um, some kind of MMA, but what he was, you know, his biggest trait was he was one big, strong, boisterous, powerful youth. Um, and he had that in abundance. He had the energy of a greyhound, um, you know. And, you know, a few people said to me, you know, listen, all he had in his life at times was, was the reputation. Um, he was a celebrity. Before, you know, there was no social media back in them days. Um, you know, so people people who talked about Lee Duffy, about what he was doing on his weekends, he got addicted to that. You know, so if he was if he was going out platinum for Dorman, he became the most talked about man in um in middle and certainly in the northeast. And uh he just, you know, he really knew how them. Also, Lee grew up in a time, you'll know about this, Steve, um, in, the, in the late 80s, when um, Mike Tyson was um, at his most poignant. You know, many people had, you know, Duffy had the fear factor like Tyson. You know, many people would go beat, would fight him and they'd be beaten before the floor because Lee would turn up, flat nose, comb hair back, the look, this bad guy. Um, you know, and he certainly he certainly was the baddest guy in Middlesbrough at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a myth, really. Now, you know, Lee Duffy is, and he is a commodity, as you as you prove with the books that you brought out. Um, tell us about tell us about you know the the main segment of his life. You know what I mean from from his perspective. 
you know, he, he was he was capable of knocking people out very easily. You know, what what was he what was he getting up to in Middlesbrough? What were his crimes? I spoke to one really close friend who um who remembered Lee as a glass collector when he was like 14 year old. Um and he he remembered him as this tall, skinny, lanky youth, you know, a bit a bit um a bit kind of gormless looking, always had his mouth open. Um, and he said, you know, come come about 1985, he changed. He became he became the Lee Duffy that, you know, he was once upon a time a happy-go-lucky. Um, you know, and basically in the last 16 months of his life, when he released um he was released in May 1990. Now, I'll give you a fact here from the police. Um, basically, he died August 91. So that was 16 months, right? In them last 16 months, he was Cleveland police, right? Here's a fact. It's not an opinion. It's a fact. They had, in 16 months, 96 separate complaints about Lee Duffy. Obviously, some bigger than others um you know so one one former detective um and he said to me he said listen if that's not a one-man crime wave i don't know what is you know many times with people broken jaws they would all lead back to the to this one young kid but um he was very you know he was very switched on yes he looked the way he did but he was very switched on and he was very clever um, you know, he had good ways of working people out. Um, he lived off the fear sometimes, you know, but most of the time that, uh, you know, that he instilled in people. Um, and, he, you know, he's just, why, why is he interested in him? Why, why is he interested in Jack the Ripper? Why is the, you know, the K Craze, Steve Race, Jamie Boyles now? Listen, you know, you don't have to make, I'm not, not trying to make it glamorous, but, you know, if you if you read any anyone any one of my sixteen books, um, there's always a lesson to be learned, and the, there's nothing there's nothing glamorous about being, you know, twenty six year old and pushing flowers up. Um, you know what's what's astounding um, is the guy died five years off his peak. So could you imagine? Could you imagine what what he would have went on to to do? Mm-hmm. How many how many lives would have been affected if he'd have got a 28, 29, 30? Um, you know, so yeah, it's um he certainly left a legacy um which I've never come across mm-hmm. with anyone. Um and you know, the thing about Lee, it's unrivaled because he died, he died that young. Yeah, you know, you go. You go on the Cray twins, Freddie Foreman, they're all old men. Um, you know, even Viv Graham, he was like, he was eight and a half years older than Lee Duffy ever was. Um, so, so yeah, he was a young kid. And, um, you know, people might not like it, but he was a big part of Middlesbrough's social history. Owen Gibson says, did Lee ever fight for money? <clears throat> yes, he did. Um, I covered it in the blood, blue moon, uh, the blood moon. Uh, that's me thinking of alcohol. Um, 
No, he basically he had a fight um, with a guy. I know the name, but I'm not going to name it. Uh, a very well-known name in Nottingham. And um, basically, Lee had been on drugs for days. Uh, and the fight was, a, was worth a £1,000. Uh, Lee and a friend of his, they said, how much money have you got on you? He said, 12 quid. His mate said, 36 quid. So they had 48, 48 quid between them. And um, he basically said, well, you better not lose. Lee threw the first punch and it was totally embarrassing. His mate just stood there and he was just like, oh my God. And uh, the second punch hit and the, the guy was out before he hit the floor. Um, he did, you know, he did go to Doncaster um, with Anthony O and one or two other people I won't name. And uh, there was supposed to be an arranged fight, but there was a handful of people. Um, I know Tommy Harrison was trying to get him to have a fight with Lenny McLean. Um, I spoke to Tommy myself regarding that, and he, he said that was, you know, before Lee, before Lee was shot um, twice in five weeks, he said to me that was on the cards, but how sure, you know, how definite it was. You know, Lenny McLean had retired by then, he was getting on, um, you know. Um, Bearing in mind, Duffy was 19 years younger, his senior. Um, so, you know, I don't think that probably would have, you know, I think it was probably more of a thing for the books. But um, Tommy did tell me that, and, you know, obviously it's been spoken of as well by certain people who knew Lee. Yeah. Paul Oxley said um, Duffy featured in McIntyre's Underworld with the Taxman, which he enjoyed. Uh, Michael Bull says he watched the Lee Duffy documentary on Amazon Prime today. He said it was a good watch. Um, Thank you. A couple of other questions. Uh, Jab Signature, thanks to Jab who uh, puts together the flyers and helps us with the show. He says, uh, You hear lots of different stories about Lee Duffy. One I hear a lot is that uh, he was a bully. What's your thoughts <clears throat> on that, Jamie? Um, don't me be honest with you. Yes, please. Uh, listen, there's a lot of things I didn't put in that book. You know, I've never ever said this out apart from to very close friends. You know, what 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 was sprayed on the motorways about Lee, I never want to reveal because it's not right. You know, what the police told me on certain allegations, I will never reveal. Because, you know, I know people won't believe this, but I've got a duty. I'm always cautious to the Duffy family. I don't really want them reading things like that. You know, I'm not here to slag, to slag a, a dead man is no longer here. And I'm not here to, to glamorise anyone. But if you want my honest opinion on that, who spoke to people, spoke to people that never even come out in court. Absolutely. Of course he was. But did he have a good side? Did he bully bully sometimes? Yes. But he was a young kid, you know, in the last few months of his life, he was a young kid in control of a town full of Middlesbrough, a population of 149,000. He was, he was in control of this whole town and everything in it, but he wasn't in control of himself. The drugs ravaged him, you know, he'd go into nightclubs and think them bouncers are talking about me and he'd just run up punching four. You know, I was speaking to his... um. 
the last victim of Lee's, um, you know, and he said, listen, he said that guy was something else. He said he hit me that hard. He, he knocked me eight foot across the air. You know, um, that'll come out in the documentary. Um, I spoke to the police, which are going to be in. Um, yes, of course he was. I can't butter and paper up the cracks. He did some wicked bad things that can only be described as bullying. You know, I'm sorry if that if that goes against the grain. But, you know, you've got to remember I've spoken to some of some of his nearest and dearest people who loved him, people who hated him, people who were his best friends. And yeah, I'd probably there's no denying that he did do things like that, of course. Miss Clary says, do you think if Lee had had a longer life, he would have ever straightened himself out and had a quieter life? Good question. Um, um, Lord Lancaster seen a letter um, which three weeks before three weeks before Lee died, he went to, I won't name him because he's, he's still alive. But um, sorry, my sinuses are bad. Um, basically, um, three weeks before he died, and the the priest said he is a good man who's doing a lot of bad things. He's got a good heart. I've personally spoken to people who who told me three weeks before he died. He burst out in burst, <clears throat> burst tears and he said, you know, I want out of this life. Um, you know, how can I get out? You know, do I think Lee, Lee Duffy had the social skills to say to people, not tonight, lads, I don't want to fight and walk away. Of course he didn't. The only things he knew was that. And um, he was very good at it. And, um, you know, one of his favourite sayings was, I'll live by the sword and I'll die by the sword. You know, one of his best friends said two weeks before he died, um, he said, said, listen, Lee, he said, you need to calm down, mate. He said, you're going to end up dead. And he just stood up laughing like he, man, like, like he'd won the Olympic gold. And he just showered, I'll live by the sword and I'll die by the sword. And started popping ease and... You know, forever young. It's probably um, it's something that I think will be tied forever with Lee Duffy. You know, when you think what he was about, the drugs, the women, the music. Um, he was a young lad and he loved it. And um, you know, which I put in um, I put in the Hall of the Moon. I used my my friend Graham Seed as an example. Now, I said, basically, Graham Seed was Middlesbrough's worst ever kind of um, tramp. You know, if there was a, if there was any bits of, any bits of antisocial behaviour, Graham Seed was at the, the start of it, at the middle and the end. Now, he, he died and come back to life in a coma. Now, he was six years older than Lee Duffy ever was when he turned his life around. You know, Lee Duffy's brother sadly passed um, last year. You know, he was a bit of a naughty lad, and um, God rest him. And he turned his life around, um, and he done some incredible things. 
um, which should never be forgotten about. So, you know, you know, basically, Steve, can you imagine Lee Duffy? It's like Stephen Sears and Brian Cockrell now. You know, I think Lee would have been more powerful because he had bullet holes all over him. You know, can you imagine him going into the schools and the youth clubs saying, listen, kids, it's not the way to go. That would have been powerful. Um, but I certainly think, in my opinion, it was researched a lot. I think he was a good couple of years away from, um, you know, I think he was at least five years away from turning the corner because he was due to be in court for threats to kill, um, the petrol incident, which he broke someone's jaw, and breaking um, Peter Wilson's neck. So he was on bail for three things. Um, you know, even if the even if the jury believed Lee's version, <clears throat> even if the jury believed his version of offence and said the bouncer started on him, you can't get away with breaking people's necks. So he was 26. He was coming out. He was getting double figures. He was coming out in his 30s. But um, obviously, fate didn't allow him that time and his um, his life was snuffed out um, in Middlesbrough. What was, the, on, what, was the, on August. what was the petrol incident, Jamie? Tell tell people watching what the petrol incident was. <clears throat> the petrol incident um, is very, very funny, actually. It's, um, it's quite... How does, that, how does Alanis Morissette put it? Ironic. Because this lad called David Tappan, Lee, he, he told me that Lee had been bullying his brother. So, um, basically, he went to... Lee had just come off remand. It was April the 28th, 1991. So, he went in the the commercial, it was a Friday evening Neil Boob and all of them was there and he actually went up to Lee Duffy and said, can you lend me your father to buy the petrol so Lee didn't give him a father, he gave him three quid so he went round to um, was it Asda I think Was it anyway, some local garage bought the petrol uh, went in the bar chucked it over Lee uh, a few people in the bar got it um, and basically, the police said to me, they said, when we'd done them tests, they said, if that had been lit, um, that would have took the full pub up because, um, obviously, lucky for, um, for Lee, David Tapman got the matches wet. Um, you know, I've seen um, Lee basically knocked all his teeth out the bottom, um, you know, basically beaten to a pulp. Caught him at the back door, and um, one one guy said to me, who watched it, said he was half dead, and uh, Lee turned to Neil Boob and said, "Are you, you going to let him get away with what he's done to me?" And uh, this this man who told me, they said, "What is the reason Lee said that was? Was he thought he killed him? So if Neil Boob had put a foot on him, he would be doing a joint venture for a murder." And um. You know, basically that was Lee's local. Um, we're going to be filming in there for the documentary. Um, yeah, but it's 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 something that's in folklore. And afterwards, um, I spoke to a man who said 
Lee stripped down to his underpants, uh, you know, rather than attack him. So this is how much of a sixth sense he had. Um, and afterwards, he was dancing, singing Jim Morrison's Come On Baby, Light My Fire. <laughs> you know, so he had, a, he had a certain amount of kind of, how can I dare say it? In Glasgow, they call it Gallus. Um, you know, it's kind of, he hit someone and he put like a bit of humour into it. You know, one guy I spoke to, it was another one of the victims, like, um, he said he was that narcissistic, he'd smack him and he'd be shouting, Woo, what a punch! You know, and um, he did love himself and he was very proud about how much, how good he could fight. And, um, you know, my research tells me he could really, really have a fight. Um, you know, um, yes, he yes, he lost a few fights when he was a young lad, but I don't think I've, I've never heard of Lee kind of losing a fight after about the age of 18 because usually they were over just through one shot and that was it. Um, so that was all mainly... You know, and obviously a lot of people were beat before, before that, you know, it was Lee Duffy, for God's sake. It was the Duffer. So, you know, everyone knew of him. Um, I knew of him when I was eight year old and I believed in Santa Claus till I was, till I was nine. People can think what they want about that. You know, um, I'd, I'd never seen him. Um, but everyone used to speak, used to speak about him. Jab signature, John from Jab says, would Lee have fought Ernie Buick, do you think? Um, I was talking to someone the other day, actually. It was always with Lee. And he said, in all my time with him, he said he never, ever went to Sunderland. He said he went to Hartlepool once or twice. Um, went to Richie Horsey's house once. Richie wasn't in. Um, but... He loved Newcastle. Stephen Sears described Lee. Um, and basically, I think it's a very fitting way. He said that he was the biggest Geordie he never was. Um, you know, um, you know, David Allison, he's a very, very private guy, and I've had to respect that. And I I, I don't, you know, I don't mention anything, you know, but um someone said to me, they said, which I have it on good authority. You know, they said, basically, he said, all Lee wanted to do was overpower the Middlesbrough lads. Everyone in the borough, he wanted to overpower them. And he'd be seen, you know, it's not me, but this is what he said, kissing the Geordie's asses, hanging around with Stephen and Michael and Manny Bergo. Um, you know, so he was always up Newcastle. He was always wanting to Graham. Um and I spoke to I spoke to people in Newcastle. Um, even Manny Berg when he said Jamie, he said, Listen, when Lee died, the new the news in Townside was like as big as as when Viv Graham got killed. Um, so yeah, you know, this is just my feedback, what people are telling me. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's um, you know, spoke to all your friends, Steve, Tony Sears and all them. And this, you know. Every Friday and Saturday night, and uh, in the book, in the book, the Bay Horse Inn, which is um, in Buckingham, Buckingham Street, mm -hmm. he said uh, he was well got by all those Geordies, and uh, and I think that you know paid out when he was when he um, 
when he was buried because obviously there was hordes of used lots at, at his burial. Andrew Ray says, apart from the famous Macy's incident, has Jamie got any more stories about Lee coming to Newcastle? I mean, he came to Newcastle quite a bit, but the Sears brothers used to go down to the Blues in Middlesbrough as well, didn't they? So, hang on, sorry, Steve, can you say that again? Said, apart from the famous Macy's incident, has Jamie got any more stories about Lee coming to Newcastle? That's what Andrew Ray is asking. And I'm saying, of course, the Sears brothers used to go to Middlesbrough quite a bit to, to the Blues with Lee. And, and, you know, Lee used to come up to Newcastle as well, didn't he? I was talking to someone the other day who was with Lee, Neil Booth, um, Michael Sears, Stephen Sears, and they were all on a beach. Um, and just to test him, you know, Lee was stoned or doped up, half asleep. They were all laid on a beach on the come down. And they said, Lee, there's Viv Graham there. We jumped up, where, where, where? Took his top off. And um, yeah, there, yeah, there's, there's lots, um, you know, what, march, marching. Uh, I spoke to one guy last year or maybe the year before. And he, he said he witnessed it. He said he was only a young kid. He was in the beehive. Um, and he said, the bouncers, Newcastle was on lockdown because of this scary guy in just a pair of red feeler boots and a pair of shorts was marching up the big market, up and down, just, just punching any bouncers. And this guy said to me, he said, I seen him chasing bouncers around cars, you know, and uh, I googled this this morning because I was coming on, and um, I don't know whether it's the biggest, right, with population or size, but it says Newcastle is the fifth biggest city in England or Great Britain. Now, for a young kid to walk into one of the toughest cities in Britain, in, in Geordieland, and demand to fight the hardest of them all, I, th I think that just sums it up, whether you like him, you know. Uh, at the minute, I'm writing the Paul Sykes book, and Sykes done a lot of things like that. And, um, yeah, that's that, that's the interest in him, because normal people just don't behave like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, certainly, certainly, the you know, the last, the last 16 months of his life, he was always up Newcastle, uh, you know. Um, one guy, I won't name him, but he said to me, he said, I was there once, um, about 1990, and he said, Michael Sears, Lee Duffy turned up in a car, music blasting, Neil Booth, and uh, all the doormen looked, and out come over the car, Lee Duffy in just a shorts and a vest, and he said, he said, you know what, you thought it had been royalty, and he said, he just marched to the front, you know, and everyone knew who he was. Um, and there's lots of stories like that um, going around Steve in Newcastle. Um, yeah, um, you know, in in Ackleton Prison, he, um, I've just well, I've done the Brian Cockrell book. He'd be smoking a joint, he'd have one behind his ear. And um, I don't know whether you've been in prison, Steve. As uh, a visitor. Yeah, well, uh, anyway, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to move about. But um, basically, 
he would just march about all over. And um, some of the screws would look at each other and they'd look and think, just ignore him, he'll be gone in any minute. Stuffy, you know, and um, yeah, lots of stories like that, you know. And this is this is this is like, you know, thirty years ago, half the population had um, had landmines. Yeah. Why didn't the fight with Viv Graham happen? I think that was only something realistically. Um, Ox. Lee was more obsessed with Viv Graham than the other way around. Um, Viv was a businessman. He was smart. Um, you know, I spoke to a close member of the Viv Graham family not long back. Um, and they said he was earning in the region of about five grand a week. You know, at times Lee Duffy was penniless. Um well, Lee didn't have any business minds. He just wanted to find men so he could knock them out and then find more hard men so he could knock them out. You know, he wasn't he wasn't interested about making Duffy securities or, you know, Duffy bars, nightclubs. Um, he was just a young kid and he lived for the moment and um, he terrorised and tortured Biff Graham you know, Viv Graham, by all accounts, from the people I spoke to, was a logical thinker. You know, he was um, very rarely drunk, didn't take drugs. Uh, you know, Lee used to smoke joints like people smoke cigarettes. Um, yeah, and I think that was the difference between them. Um, you know, and Viv lived. Viv lived... About 16 months after Duffy died. And uh, I would say there were certainly more peaceful months of his life than beforehand. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the the death of Lee Duffy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's... um The eight-day trial was February... The 14th to the 19th, 1993. And um, Middlesbrough will never see the likes of a huge Titanic trial like that again. Um, you know, there's, um, there's certain things that I've heard, um, you know, that will never see the light of day. Uh, I'm not interested in, you know... I'm not interested in digging up the past. I'm not interested in, you know, it's 30 years on now, you know, and people have changed. And, you know, there were certain a lot of things that um, never come out in court. Um, yeah, it was, um, you know, I must have walked past the, Mar the Martin Road Afro-Caribbean Centre for 25 years. And obviously, I started doing the Duffy books a couple of years back, and uh, they were knocked down literally instantly. And I would have loved to have went in and um, had a look. And you know, I've I've spoken to eyewitnesses. I've spoken to witnesses who were there who watched the whole thing. Never, never spoken to the police. 
Um, you know, and if you've heard if you've heard that expression, if I've told you a million times, stop exaggerating. If Lee Duffy ever took any liberties or done any wrongs to anyone in life, then in my opinion, um, he got he got. How can I word it? Um, he got an ending that was far worse. Um, you know, in my opinion, nobody deserves to die the way he did. Um, yeah, people, you know, sat and, you know, one guy, um, there was three people, I'm going to put this in the documentary. This is not, this is not an opinion, it's a fact, because I've heard it from, <clears throat> from the people's mouths. One of the men's dead. But if he hadn't died that night, there was three men hid around the corner with a gun um, because, yeah, I'm going to put the details in the documentary, but basically Lee had beaten the, the guy who died um, and there were three people waiting for him. And I think it was only a matter of time. Um, he would have done well to see the year out. Um, you know, he basically got to the point of no return. Um, you know, I've met and I've spoken to people who were offered a hundred grand, um, a couple of brothers from Middlesbrough to kill him. And they said, nah, no chance. Um, that's not, that's not hearsay. That's factual. I, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to release I don't want to, you know, people have told me in confidence, um, but, you know, they've also told me the reason why. And, um, you know, the police, the police have told me a lot of things. And I just thought, you know, Lee Duffy, <clears throat> Lee Duffy died in 1991. I was around the middle of the boxing scene in 1992. You know, I grew up around the boxing scene. All the years to about 1997, um, and his name would come up, and I thought I knew the story until the last couple of years, and um, you know, and you just think, wow, you know, whether you liked him, whether you loved him, whether you think he epitomised everything that stood for evilness. Listen, in that short space of time, that man, the chaos and mayhem. He left on this planet, you know, even the police have said to me, we'll never see the likes of that again. Um, and, I, and I agree with that. So was, Society's changed. Was it, you was know, it a fight? You know, was it, it a fight, Jamie, or did he, was he jumped? How did, how did he die? Um, he basically, he turned up at the Afro-Caribbean, 2.45. This is what the police have told me. Um, the, the, the atmosphere um, turned from um, everyone was apprehensive, you know, um, the word jollity was used. Um, basically, he turned up wide-eyed, saying, move, get out of my way. Um, I spoke to the police and... The one guy who helped Lee, I won't mention his name because he's still about. The one guy who helped him in the car as he was dying, 
Lee grabbed him by his neck and pushed him out of the way. <clears throat> um, so basically, obviously, David Allison was a man who, you know, win, lose, or draw, right? He was having it with Duffy. He wasn't like the whole of the town. Um, you know, at the time, Duffy was chasing national names like Paul Sykes and Viv Graham. You know, what was David Allison in Lee Duffy's league? It's not for me to say, but the research said absolutely not. But um, he was one guy who used to go to the places Lee was. And um, this, this I'll use the expression what the man said who told me. This fabulously fucked Lee off because he wouldn't bow down to him. So basically, heated discussion was uh, were exchanged. They went outside. They had a fight. In court, it come out there was one fight when really there was two fights. Um, the, the fights were witnesses have said to me about six minutes broke up. But um, in the first fight, obviously there was only one person in it. Lee, you know, <clears throat> basically the police said to me. The pathologist and everything they said when uh, you know it was very it was very sad the next day when you know the police had um they interviewed him for months they tried to arrest him and uh they seen him and on the morgue he'd been dead less than twelve hours and this was a big big guy he had a towel on him he had no marks on him he didn't have he didn't he didn't have um he didn't look like he'd been in any fight apart from on his hands. Um stabbed in the hip, stabbed in the leg, stabbed on the back, and obviously the fatal one, which was the just under the left arm. Um, you know, but other than that, he didn't have a mark on him. And I've spoken to um you know, the ladies who washed him down and, you know, your cans. But, um, you know, basically, um, you know, it, you know, bearing in mind, Lee had been up for like two <clears throat> two days as well by that point. Um, if, if, if Leah hadn't had died, him and Lee Harrison were due to, um, to drive to Edinburgh for an all-night rave. Um, so that just shows the level of burning the candle at both ends. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, what went on, went on. And it was a very, very, you know, I've spoke to people and people have sat and cried in front of me. You know, these are people not even in the book, don't even want to be mentioned. But, the, you know, the, there was no lights. It was just the moonlight. And, the, and they said, Jesus Christ, we remember that. And, um, yeah, you know, the, the next day. Some of my friends went down on the um, on the BMXs to look at the scene, and you know there was blood everywhere. Uh, you know, um, yeah, it, it's something that. Listen, that's forever. Um, the biggest thing ever to happen to Middlesbrough. Um, you know, I've spoken to nurses who, when you know, when 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 he arrived in Nene. There was that much blood. The lady said to me, there was a puddle outside the door. She said to me, 
it was like a scene from a horror film, um, you know, and um, basically no, no, no hospital in the world could have saved him. Um, I think I put it in that book, Steve, as the most feared thug on um, in Teesside. He danced with the devil and the pale of the moonlight once too often. You know, we we know about the petrol incident. We know about the two shootings, but also two weeks before he died, about eight men, um, eight men arrived <clears throat> on some premises in the beat league with crowbars. Um, miraculously, he, he escaped without a mark on him. Um, you know, and that doesn't get that never ever gets um, that never gets took into account for the attempts on Lee's life. But then, men, um, I know who they were. Obviously, I'm not going to mention them. Um, they were they were there to basically beat him to death. And um, you know, I you know, I don't think ever again will such a you know, I'm lost the words that you know, just a young kid, and you know, it's sad that basically I've spoke to some people, me and you know some people, um, and they've said, you know, he would talk like he was an 88 year old man who um who was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, I've got long, I'm not long for this world, and uh, you know, yes, he had half his foot missing, he had skin grafts on his knee pellets in it um but he was a picture of health and uh yes he took drugs but um you know he would have been 55 on wednesday and he should still be in out to see his kids and grandkids and for me that's very very sad david last says what's it like in south bank now he says he's been to the commercial pub in the past he says it looks like it's been abandoned since back then um, well, I have it on good authority that the commercial is going to open, reopen this year. Um, the owner has very kindly let me um, for the added um, authenticness to, uh, you know, to, if it was Lee's local. And, uh, but there's not much left of South Bank now. It's like over the border in Middlesbrough. There's not much left of it. Um, you know, it's. Um, 30 years ago, South Bank, you know, it was full of nightclubs, it was full of shops. Um, you didn't even have to, they had an own football stadium. Um, it was a it was a thriving little area. And uh, you know, there's um it's it's a very, very how can I put it without knocking the area? It's it's certainly one of Middlesbrough's most deprived areas. You know, and um, I can understand being dragged up in that area, the the toughness that the mental, you know, you know, the, the basically, you know, that was that was the difference between Viv Graham. Viv Graham grew up; he was more of like a countryside boy. Where was where was Viv brought up, Steve? In Newcastle, mate, in the heart of Newcastle. Yeah, but it wasn't it like on the outskirts. Yeah, it was. It was, it was a, a, like a, he wasn't a West Ender. That was the problem. He wasn't a West Ender like Stephen and the lads. But brought in the heart of Newcastle, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Lee, you know, oh, you know, fuck it. I'm going to just be brutal. He was dragged up. You know, have you seen the Mike Tyson documentaries when he's dragged up in the Catskill, the Bronx, and the deep, yeah. you know, that was Middlesbrough's version. And uh, he, he did an apprenticeship um, you know, 
very much like Paul Sykes. Um, Lupsit is the the biggest council estate in Europe. Oh, I think it's Europe. Yeah, I'm positive it's Europe. And um, you know, it's um, I hope there's no one watching from from Wakefield, but it's a shithole. And uh, and you know, South Bank. It was it's a bloody. It was a tough place to live. And uh, yeah, it certainly it certainly put Lee on the right track for the career they chose. Um, the rest is history. Um. I spoke to many people who I really respect in boxing. You know, people when I was growing up as a boxer, people like John Pierce Jr., um, you know, John Dryden, um, Lee's old coach, Marty Turner. Um, I've never met <clears throat> I've never met anyone who said, you know, he, he, he wasn't all that. Um, he just fundamentally learned the basics. Um, and obviously good for him and bad for the victims. Uh, he molded, he molded it into his own unique style of street fighting. Um, and you know, people can take this other one. They can quote me on this. There'll never be another Lee Duffy again in this, in this lifetime because of what he did. Uh, you know, and, um, yeah, his fighting skills were, Second to none I've ever come across. Um, you know, bearing in mind I've done books on your, your Dominic Neguses, your Roy Shaws, your Paul Sykes, your Brian Cockrells. I've read 56 of the 63 books on the Cray Twins. Um, you know, I, I'm like you. If there's a British bad guy, I know of him. I know something about him. And, uh, yeah, never again will uh, be another legal thing. Got five minutes left, Jamie. Just try and get through these last couple of questions. Uh, Miss Curry says, was Lee ever di diagnosed with a medical disorder, bipolar or schizophrenia? Um, yeah, that's something that I, um, I've asked and I've researched and I, I can't ever name this because it killed me, but I even spoke to one of the doctors. And to put it bluntly, no. Absolutely not. Um, but I spoke to someone related to him and they said they're convinced that he had some kind of underlying ADHD or, you know, someone far more qualified. But the normal people just didn't do what Lee Duffy did. Um, and that was just, you know going around punching people on a daily basis. Just not normal behaviour, Steve. Andrew Ray's chipped in. Thanks for that, Andrew. He says, Viv was from Rollins Gill originally. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, but then he obviously went to Ball's End, which is where he spent like the majority of his life before he passed away. Um, a lot of people saying they really enjoyed it. Very informative. Top interview, lads. Very interesting. Nice break from the takeover rumours, says Michael Bull. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people also saying that... Uh, it's just nice to be talking about something other than football. Michael Chapman says, "Good interview, lads. Brings back memories of a unique era." Of a unique era. Uh, Paul Oxley says, "Who would win, Pat Tate or Lee Duffy?" He says, "I should know." He says, "I know all about Pat Tate after getting hit over the head with a pool cue." You know what? We can talk about boxes all day, and we can talk about football all day because there's form, and there's, you know. 
But stuff like that, uh, I get asked stuff with it all the time, and um, you know, you can't realistically answer that. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's just that's something for books that I don't really want to be drawn into. But uh, Pat Tate, a fascinating character. Miss Clary says, brilliant. I'm going to educate myself more on Lee. Very interesting. So the best way you can do that is get yourself on Amazon, watch the documentary, um, and then also buy the books, Hole of the Moon and The Blood Moon, both available from Amazon. Definitely well worth a read. Um, get you through another part of uh, lockdown. HH says, good stuff. Cheers. Great interview, lads. Brings back some memories. Andrew Ray, a special, a special era, says Andrew Ray as well. Um, Paul Oxley says, who's looking forward to Steve, seeing Steve Bruce on TV again? You've managed to get a football one in, Paul. I've given you that, mate. Uh, but, yeah, look, I mean, it's great to have you on, Jamie. And, um, of course, last minute, just to, just to say thanks as well for, for, for getting every boy's dream out there. The, the, the first eight or nine reviews are in on Amazon, and um, they're, they're all, all very positive. A lot of people who uh, seem to be enjoying it. But Jamie's put together my book, Every Boy's Dream, uh, predominantly about my, my time following Newcastle United. But there's... There's enough in there for the gangster purist and there's a bit in there for the doorman purist and a bit in there for the for the people who know us as, as an actor. So if you haven't already got it, Every Boy's Dream is available at, at the moment on Kindle, uh, $4.95. Um, and you can also get that on Warcry Press Publishing as a, as a pre-order. Um, and that is available from the 1st of July. So uh, thanks for that, Jamie. Great to have you on tonight, mate. And, uh, you know, stay safe during the pandemic. And I'm sure we'll be speaking over the next few weeks. Always a pleasure, Steve. God bless. Thank Take you. Take care, mate. Speak to you soon.